I was in Paris about two months ago. And it was just a little vacation. It was on the East Coast. I had seven days off. I said, well, I'll just go over there and I'll go to Paris. But let me give you a warning. If you're going over there, here's an example. Chapeau means hat. Oof means egg. It's like those French have a different word for everything. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Season 2 of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, uh, a podcast in which uh, myself, Bo Ransdell, and uh, my co-host, the uh, estimable Duncan McLeish, uh, <laughs> select a film for one another that the, the the other hasn't seen, and whoever picks the best movie wins the episode. Uh, and Duncan, welcome back. Yes. It feels great to be back. Um, we haven't been away that long. I think this is about four months or something, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think just yeah. long enough. Long, long enough yeah. to reset, prepare, strategize. I've, I've got a, a, a consultant team now. I have a war room. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, the thing, the thing about um, season one, like I said, when we were, I think when we were just finishing up, was that I think season one was us finding our feet. Kind of understanding what worked on the show, what didn't work on the show. Ultimately, we became a bit more focused on picking topics at the beginning. It was just, you could put pretty much anything against anything, which uh, it seemed cool at first, but you get a slightly unfair advantage to things that way. Uh, just depending on how deep and uh, sensible you want to go in certain movies. So I think this idea that we had, and certainly it's, it's definitely permeated right through into this season in that we have pretty much set out an agenda of genres to take us through the entire season. And I can't wait, really, because some of these are well out with my comfort zone in cinema that I maybe know one or two titles of, and I'm kind of hoping that those one or two titles you've never seen, or I will have to roll the dice and gamble on one that... um, you've not seen and I've not seen, which I did last year, and it worked for me. Uh, the, the Act of Killing was a movie neither one of us had seen, um, and that, that kind of worked out for me. But I think what's exciting, Bo, is that I, I get to come back as a as a champion. So the target is now well and truly on me this season. Regardless, you know, who takes the lead or whatever, for the whole season, the target is now on me. And I kind of feel like I'm going to have to to be a bit more sly and try and deploy some dirty tricks in order to retain the title at the end of the season. Oh, yeah. I mean, I make no mistake. Like you said, the end of the season uh, one, I felt like the, the, you know, the show gelled. And also, I had put myself in a bit of a hole uh, in terms of the score. And although I think my run at the end of uh, last season w- was quite good, I mm-hmm. uh, couldn't quite... Uh, pull the win out, so you know, yeah, yeah, you're you're you are a target, absolutely. You 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 can't it, like if you two peat, if you repeat, it's not two peat if you just do it again. I'm, uh, NBA has ruined my grammar, I'm afraid. Um, so if you repeat, then eh, you know that's I, I don't want to be in that place in season three. I would much. Yeah. I would much rather season three be a, a tiebreaker season, uh, because then uh, we'll, we'll stop doing the show. Um, once I'm, <laughs> once I'm truly the winner, not just of a particular season, but of the show overall. 
You'll retire. I know. I know. I, I wanted. To, I didn't want to come back for a second season. But <laughs> right. People. People might not know. You actually went out and bought me a trophy, and then had it couriered over to Scotland, and it is the most insane fucking trophy ever. Yeah, absolutely love it. It's, it's pride of place above my Blu-ray collection. Um, it sits. It sits there. It gets. It gets polished. Three times a day with exotic oils from around the world. Uh, I have a special, uh, special um, person that comes in to do that for me. And uh, yeah, it, it is um, it is quite quite a a formidable trophy. Um, that yeah, I don't I don't want I don't want to be in a position where, you know, at the end of this season I may have to return the favour. <laughs> yeah, uh, and good good luck finding a trophy that ridiculous. Oh, I don't think I'll ever do that. I, I think. Uh, well, I did say a bronze uh, tarantula might be a good idea for you, uh, Bo, just because I know how much you love those furry little bastards. Dirty son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> uh, one wrinkle this season, listeners. I said it's the best wrinkle ever, though. It, Yeah, it, the wrinkle is as good as its namesake, I think. And this is largely for those wagering on the shows. Uh, you you need to pay attention to this. Um or risk losing money and possibly fingers. So what we're going to do is we are going to have what we refer to as the winter beast. Uh, for listeners of the first season, you know that winter beast is the greatest thing ever put to film. Yeah. Um, we considered just devoting the show entirely to winter beast. Every episode, two yep. times, two, the, both movies, yep. two times, <laughs> every show. Yep, just maybe a different facet, like, you know, one one episode is animation, one episode is acting, one episode is mustaches. Uh, but ra- rather than go down that dark rabbit hole, uh, we have decided instead to uh, feature Winter Beast as a uh, sort of a, 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 a last resort of sorts, where if uh, w- at any point in the season, on any given show... One of us can choose to invoke the name of the Winter Beast and automatically win the episode. Yeah. So we have in our pockets a win already. I I hope that we can, even if it's not me, I hope that we are in a position at the uh, end of the season or whenever the Winter Beast is used that it can be done spitefully. Oh, yes. (laughs) I was just like, I've got enough of a lead, but fuck you. Here's the Winter Beast. Uh, oh, the thing about it is, um, we, we, we obviously finished uh, our season with Duncan and Bochum Incorrect, which was one uh, possibly the most fun podcast I've ever recorded. I have not laughed like that on any show I've ever done. It was brilliant. We did Blood Feast. We did Winter Beast. My my undying love was declared at the end of that episode too, Winter Beast, I've now devoted my life to it. Um, I, I sacrifice small uh, poultry animals um, in its name, and uh, I attend the Church of Winter Beast. Uh, Granted, at the moment, it's only me in this country. Uh, but yeah, I, I love that movie, and we, like you say, we had considered how we bring it back into the show this season without just monopolising every single show by talking about it. And I think this is the best the best way. I mean, this is a, an idea that was concocted last night, and I think it could be the best idea ever. Um, I, I genuinely are looking forward to it. And to our listeners who joined us for the live screening of Winter Beast, 
um, which was a lot of fun. I, I loved that. It was a fair few months ago now. Um, we might just do that at the end of every season, Bo. Just another screening just, of Winter Beast? Just another screening of Winter Beast, and we'll see how the, the flock grows. <laughs> right, if we if we can continue to build the church and eventually get tax exemptions. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. So, yeah. um yeah, so that, that's that's the only wrinkle in this season, but um, I think it's a, a thumping good one. Um, so, Bo, uh, well, there's no way we could start the beginning of this show by saying, what have you been watching since the last time we did the show? Because it's four months ago. Yes, yes. So so wh- how will we handle this at the start? I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think we push forward. I think we say uh, within the, the recent past... The, uh, something that potentially folks might still be able to see in a theater. We, we mm-hmm. start there and say, you know, what is, uh, one of the best, one of the worst things that you've been seeing recently? Um, and I'll tell you what, just to kick things off, uh, and get it out of the way, quite frankly, <laughs> uh, the best thing I've seen in forever was Mad Max Fury Road. Um, yes. I think, Plenty of people have seen it. I don't. I don't know that we have to discuss it a bunch here, other than yeah. to say if you haven't seen it, you should. It's really, really good. Even if you're not steeped in Mad Max lore and all that kind of thing, um, mm-hmm. really, really great movie. An incredible action movie. Easily, easily the best thing uh, I've seen in the past what two, three months. Yeah, it's really fucking good. I mean, there's there's no way to express how much fun you will have watching that movie. It's just so over the top, so nonsensical, so streamlined at the same time and focused on delivering some of the most insane action you'll ever see. Um, and I, for one, approve. Uh, I saw it at the cinema and I loved every second of it. Um, and the fact that the movie's doing really good business, it's not doing amazing, it's not doing like a, a, an Avengers uh, kind of blockbuster success, but it is doing quite well, enough to merit them coming back and doing more movies, which is what I really want to see. I've now been given a new glimpse at a world that I want to know more about, and characters that I want to know more about. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what George Miller does next with with Mad Max and that that franchise. It was it was incredible. It was it was really really good. Um, and if you're hearing a lot of people gush over it, then yeah, it's, it's, it's merited. I can't. I'd love to be one of these guys that say, "Oh, everyone loves it, bad." No, it is that good. It is that good? Yeah. Uh, and I will. All right. So the shitty stuff, <laughs> which there is a ton more of. But I, I, this isn't a terrible movie I'm about to present to you, Duncan. But you might right. be interested to hear that the Dead Two is not very good. Now, I heard this. I have heard this before. My former co-host on the podcast, Under the Stairs, saw this at Fright Fest um, back in 2013. And um, he had not seen the original, but he'd heard the reputation of the original as being an incredible movie. Um, and I know that you and Jamie, when you were doing The Viller, got a bit heated with uh, Mr. Anders Jr. over there, and that you thought was a great movie, and he didn't like it. Um and there was a lot of expectation for the second one because it's set in a different continent, isn't it? Is it? Yes, it is. Uh, different, yeah, different continent, different characters, but same 
writer and director, or writers and right. directors, the the Ford brothers. Yeah. So how have the how have they missed the mark on the second movie then? Because they just made the same movie again, right? And not as good as the first film. Like the the thing that made The Dead so compelling uh, to me as a zombie film, and just as movie in general, is that it really had an, a, an opinion and an attitude about you know American interventionism in that part of the world, and uh, you know, and it wasn't a completely black and white thing. There was a very not to say it was uh, nuanced in the way that maybe a good essay would be, but it approached that idea in an interesting way and then threw some zombies on there. And it reminded me a lot of a, a good Romero film, you know? Oh, yeah. So I enjoyed The Dead on that level. The Dead 2 uh, is set in India. I don't think it has the same perspective. Uh, the thing that I, I love so much about the dead was sort of that political commentary, which is really absent in the dead too. Um, uh -huh. It's more, it's more of a, a romance almost where there's an American worker in India who has fallen in love with an Indian woman. And when the shit hits the fan, um, he is going after, he's going to rescue her, but her father disapproves of the relationship and so forth. And, um, but it, it is so similar to the original uh, without being as interesting or effective that it got distracting. Like there, there are similar shots. Like one thing that popped up in the dead all the time was uh, these sweeping shots of a zombie at night kind of washed uh, by the, the headlights of a car. And you saw these images over and over that were these kind of haunting and dreamlike images of these zombies alongside the road and whatnot. And, the Dead 2 does the exact same thing, only, again, not as good. The whole thing just felt like it's just a, a pale Im imitation of the original. And not that it isn't well shot and and reasonably well acted and, you know, the effects are okay. And there are a couple of scenes that are, are really interesting and really effective. But it's just a big disappointment because it felt like with The Dead, these these guys, the Ford brothers did something that was kind of interesting and different. And I was hoping uh -huh. that they would bring the same sort of attitude to the sequel. And, and they just don't, it's just, it's just a regular run of the mill kind of boring zombie movie. Uh, it's a bit depressing. I really liked the first one as well. I really liked the first one. So I'm, but I've not been, I've not been able to check out the second one yet. And that's, it's not instilling confidence in me to, to any degree at all. Yeah, I, I don't think you would hate the movie, but I think ultimately you would be kind of bored by it. Yeah. Um, but let's not linger on depressing things like The Dead 2 not being very good. Duncan, what have you been watching that you would say, hey, people ought to see this, or hey, for the love of God, don't watch this movie? <laughs> Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly condense a couple in because I know that some time has passed. Um, on the good front, I think you'll echo possibly all of these. Um, well, certainly the ones you've seen. Um, if the people out there know that both myself and yourself are involved with horror, horror podcasts, and this year's been pretty fucking impressive at the start of the year anyway for horror movies. Um, it follows being pretty much one of the juggernauts of that, uh, which has had an incredible successful run which started off as it was looking like it was going straight to VOD and then it did some cinemas 
and then before we knew it, there was more people campaigning for it to get a bigger cinematic release, which happened in the States. And the UK it was released at all the multiplexes anyway. I think whoever was handling distribution over here had just decided it was going to get that release when it came out. Um, it's it's a really good movie. Um, a lot of people are saying it's very original. I don't necessarily think it's as original as people are saying it is. Um, I think what it does is it takes a lot of pre-established sort of stereotypes or ideas from horror movies and kind of inverts them slightly or changes them in an interesting way. Uh, and I, I really I can't say enough good things about that movie. It's Spring is another one which... Um, smaller budget, but uh, really, really enjoyed that movie. And once again, it's not necessarily horror; it's more kind of fringy horror. Um, but it's beautifully shot. The, the shot in Italy, so it's got me on board straight away. But the, the without spoiling anything, the the idea of the story, the love story at the centre of it, and um, and how it unfolds, and what appears to be there but isn't there or what appears to be fact but isn't fact is really interesting that movie i really enjoyed that movie um, the third one i'm going to mention is one that i just checked out in the last week and a half i went to the cinema to see that as well it was on limited cinematic release in the uk and that is a girl walks home alone at night uh, which is an army uh, sorry an iraqi american movie so is it Iraqi? Iran. Iran. Yeah, I thought yeah, it's Iranian, right? Iranian. Yeah, Iranian American movie. Um although it was shot in America, I think it's partially funded by um their cinema over there, as well as the director being from Iranian descent, and it's uh it is a really good movie. Um, it's shot black and white, which I love, as you will see on one of my movie selections for t- for today. Uh, I do like movies shot in black and white. Um but it's just really interesting. There's a lot of clever sort of... Uh, the way I describe it, it's almost like kind of like a pulp mashup of different things all going at once, which makes it quite interesting. It has an art house sensibility without being too dry or pretentious. Um, the score is brilliant in the movie. Simtrack is great, actually. Simtrack mixes up many different decades of music. Um, and even the fashion sense of some of the characters appears to be at odds with others. You know, there's some characters dressed like you would imagine from the 50s in the same room as someone who's dressed clearly from the 1980s. And these sort of things add a kind of weird, kind of almost ethereal, not quite sure what time we're in uh, sort of factor in the movie as well. I really enjoyed it. I think it's, it's one that, between those three movies at the moment, they're all jostling at the top of my horror list for this year and it's been a, an incredible kick off to the year i can't say enough good things you've seen it follows in the spring yeah 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 uh i was i almost watched uh a girl walks home alone at night based on your suggestion and then ended up watching uh saint vincent ah yeah it's a good movie i like saint vincent yeah it's good it's good uh bill murray is, is fun in it but yeah uh i i can certainly vouch for it follows uh and i would say that it follows might have without having seen a girl walks home alone at night uh i think it follows also has that weird sense of being slightly out of time yeah and you know with like the clamshell digital reader but the fashion is kind of 70s ish at times but Uh yeah it's a interesting movie i think one of the things i like so much about it follows is there seems to be an attention to detail 
to invoke certain uh, certain feelings and certain cinematic styles that you don't really see in a lot of movies. Uh, yeah, really well directed. Um, yeah, but yeah. So all those sound good, but uh, hey, how about something <laughs> that sucks? Uh, well, I'm going to change it. Like we we did a podcast last night, uh, breaking down the, the the fourth wall of recording schedules. We did a, a great shift recording, which which will eventually make the the light of day. But um, I mentioned a movie on there. I'm going to change it up for this one because uh, I was going back through the movies I have seen recently, and um, I was reminded that I got the chance, the opportunity to guest on a show, the Badasses Boobs and Body Counts show. Mike uh, Murphy. Um, invited me over there, and we discussed a movie called Chatterbox from 1977. Have um, you ever seen this no, movie? No, I don't know this movie at all. <laughs> right, well, Chatterbox is about a woman who one day finds out that her vagina can sing and speak. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I, yeah, I've paid 50 cents to see that before. <laughs> so it's... The central premise of the movie is, as you can imagine, it's a kind of quirky American genre comedy of the 70s. But it's it's not very well executed. Um, let's put it this way. One of the acting credits should have went out to the boom mic, which appears <laughs> a lot. I love that, though. I kind of... I kinda, I, if it happens once, it feels like just kind of a screw up. If it happens like eight times in a movie, I start to get behind it a little bit. <laughs> and say, yeah, it does. It happens a lot. Um, and there, there appears to be some sort of, I don't know, some sort of loose statement. Uh, excuse the, excuse the, the, the descriptive word there, which feels like a bit of a pun. Um, to, to what's going on in the movie about kind of sexual liberation, um, almost women's place in society, you know, all these things as well. But ultimately what the movie is about is, like I say, it's about a woman whose lady area can talk and she's quite mouthy and she's very sexually liberated and um, she likes to do the, she likes to be quite chatty. <laughs> about things and then ultimately we find that she can sing so our psychiatrist then starts making money off her as a as an act which is going to travel the world and she becomes very famous um her her vagina is called virginia which uh sure you know, sure really kind of stretch your imagination out there what is really cool about it is and i feel like he should have been all the way throughout the movie there is a very small part by rip taylor and I think Rip Taylor is incredibly funny. <laughs> He's just the, the campus camp thing in the world of campdom. Um, and, uh, he is a small, small part of the beginning of this movie. And when it's over, I kind of felt like he was the best thing in the movie. And he should have had a much larger part in the movie. I would have loved it, this to be just another vehicle for his kind of insane shenanigans. Um, it's not a very good movie at all. Uh, I would say if you, if you ever are at a loose end and have, what, maybe an hour... 20 hours and 30 minutes to spare. Watch it once. You'll never watch it again. I Yeah, it, it's definitely piqued my curiosity. But at any point in the film, does the vagina order a penis inside it? Uh, no, it does oh. not. It does, however, it does, however wait until um, a, a, a partner has uh, ravished it and then mock and belittle it. <laughs> oh. Very funny. <laughs> The last thing, the last thing any man wants to hear is, uh, 
<laughs> a women's lady area telling you you didn't do it right. Um, so yeah, it's it's not it's not a very good movie at all. Yeah. I just felt that if ever there was a vehicle or a show to mention on this show, would probably be that one to do it. So yeah. Although that is a convenient excuse for criticism of like, look, it's not me telling you you were bad. It's my vagina. And, and she just doesn't lie. It doesn't lie. <laughs> oh my God. What a movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I kind of want to do the remake of this movie now. Chatterbox, <laughs> Chatterbox 2, the chattering. The chattering. <laughs> uh, oh my God. En- enough goofing off. Duncan, are you yes. about ready to begin defending your crown, sir? I am indeed. I am indeed. I think I think what we might want to do just before we go into our break is explain what our first genre choice is and what movies we're going to be discussing, Bo. I, I think that's a fine idea. Uh, we are doing foreign films, and in this context, I feel like we have not necessarily verbally agreed, but it is non-English language it, yes. is, is sort of our attitude about uh, foreign films, uh, because, you know, for me, a, a Scottish film might seem foreign, perhaps mm-hmm. almost unintelligible. Bull watch. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, and same goes, you know, a, a, a U.S. film is a foreign film to you, but. Yes, yeah, te- technically classed as a foreign film, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, rather than go that route, we decided, uh, to go with a, a, a non-English speaking film, and in both cases, we chose a French film. Which I think is fair. I think if we ever do another foreign cinema segment as well, I think we should try and both go for the same country because I think it's difficult to compare a Japanese movie, for example, with a Croatian movie because they are completely stylistically different. I think if we pick the same country, I think there is a... You will see what I mean when we talk about the film. There is certain matches in tone in both of these movies that are are kind of similar, albeit they're they're very much different. So yeah, very different kinds of films. Uh, I feel like you will be going first uh-huh. since you are the returning champion. I feel that's fair. And uh, we will be talking about you know Angela or Angel A, Angela, uh, <laughs> depending on how you want to go about it. Which is uh, a really obscure film, surprisingly, from Luc Besson. Yeah, yeah. Who is uh, probably best known for uh, what the the professional and Le Femme yeah, Leon, Leon. Yeah, Leon the professional. Is it, is it called the professional in America? It was. It was released as right. the professional, but the later uh, DVD releases were Leon the professional. Yeah, over here it's just known as Leon. So fucking see, there we go. That highlights the point about foreign cinema. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and so not to be outdone, uh, I also went with a French film. Uh, this one called Jeanne de Fleurette, uh, which stars uh, Gerard Depardieu as a hunchback, because that is as French a thing as I could think of. <laughs> You thought France, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bardi, <thank you. laughs> we'll just yeah, that seems like the perfect choice. At, at no point does he shout Sanctuary, though, which I think is a missed opportunity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, well, let's, let's take a break and kick this off. All right, sir. Je Redis-le. Sans mon nom. Je t'aime. 
maintenant. Regarde-toi bien et dis-le. And we're back. So this is the first movie review of season two of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. I'm incredibly excited about this. Yeah, Bo has already told you this movie is... Um, it, it can be Angela, it could be Angel A, it could be Angela. Um, I don't know. We'll, ju we'll just say Angela. I think that's fair because that's the woman's name. Um, and right enough, this is written and directed by Luke Besson. And like Bo said as well, this is very strange. Besson is known for his action movies, um, whether he's directing them, writing them, or, I mean, even his most recent movie, Lucy, is still a kind of high-octane action movie. Um, he's not exactly known for drama or comedy, um, which this movie certainly falls into. So, um, this movie stars the, the primary two characters, and I will murder their names with my horrible, uh, uncouth Scottish tongue, uh, Jamel Debussy, possibly, and Rhea Rasmussen. Um, and the synopsis, as listed on the INDBs, a beautiful woman helps an inept scam artist get his game together um, like I said when we were talking about um, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night I like movies that are in black and white I like that technique um, and this movie is shot in black and white and it's one of the reasons I love the movie it does have an almost kind of neo-noir sort of feel going on and it's set in Paris uh, with a guy who is kind of down and out on his luck, with owing a lot of money to a lot of different people. Um, Bo, you had never heard of this movie before. Um, I suggested it to you. You watch this movie. Tell me what you think of Angela. I think this is a weird movie. Um, <laughs> mostly because of uh, of who is behind it. I, it does not. It does not ever to me feel like a Luc Besson film. Hmm. Although it sort of does, like it, it, the dialogue I think is very Luke Besson. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about the directing style I, in terms of just reminding me, it, because when I think of Luke Besson, I think of these, in, you know, really vibrant colors and that sort of thing. And in this film, I, he's intentionally draining himself of that. And yeah. I think this is sort of Luke Besson's Frank Capra movie. Uh, and in oh, fact, right. it shares some DNA with It's a Wonderful Life, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, mm. You know, it, it, up to and including a dude jumps off a bridge uh, or is about to jump off a bridge and then jumps in to save someone. You know, yeah. that is very It's a Wonderful Life and very Frank Capra. And I think Bassan is, is sort of doing his riff on that uh, of the sort of semi-supernatural... And an unexplainable sort of uh, uh, character that enters the life of this, you know, downtrodden guy who isn't a bad person. He's a fairly likable character. He just can't stop getting in his own way yeah. and and makes a lot of dumb choices. And into uh, Andre's life comes Angela, um, who is, you know, vibrant and sexy and gives him confidence and you know, handles business for him and things like that. It, there are there are moments, though, that are weirdly uncomfortable, especially on a first viewing. Like, there is an extended sequence where, uh, spoilers, it seems as if Angela is trying to get Andre some money by 
having a series of paid sexual encounters in a bathroom of a bar. Yeah. Which, I, you know, maybe it's just me. It, that may be a little uncomfortable. And then later there's a reveal that maybe that's not what's really going on there. Yep. But it inserts a weird element of prostitution that I don't know that I was quite ready for. Um, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it's, there are, there are some really interesting things, uh, going on in the movie with like the relationship between Angela and Andre. And there, you know, she's trying to basically tell him, you're a good person. You're just not letting yourself be that person. And, mm-hmm. and is giving him opportunities. Again, very Capra-esque of here's this character that's going to reveal the true nature of, of the main character in, in a positive way. Uh, and if you can whip a little romance in there, then better yet. And, and this film does that. There's a, a growing relationship between, uh, Andre and Angela that is more than just, you know, uh, Angel and guy she's supposed to help. Um, uh-huh. you know, uh, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I guess it's Re, Rye Rasmussen is, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, an absolutely stunning woman. That doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. And is <laughs> long legs, bull, long legs, incredibly long legs. I, you know, I, as a tall guy myself, I, I, I find, uh, uh, tall women very attractive and, and she certainly is. So, and she's really fun in the movie and she's the character you need her to be, which is, uninhibited and wild and, and a little weird and all that stuff. Um, and there's a great moment in the film where they're looking in a mirror and yeah. it's, it's when she's trying to get, uh, Andre to basically say that he likes himself or loves himself in, in the context of the scene. And it's a really powerful scene. I think it really lands that that's a scene that could have been just awful in this movie. Uh, had it not worked and had it not been well acted, which it is, uh, Jamel Debuze, I think is the technical pronunciation. So yeah, that, that scene really, uh, works well. Um, I, my only real complaint with the movie, cause I, I do like black and white films as well. Uh, I like Capra movies. Um, I like Luc Besson. I think there's, there are, are a couple of moments of action in the film um, that you tend to associate with a movie by Luc Besson. Uh-huh. Um, and and those work well enough. Uh, I don't think they're exceptional action sequences, but th- that's not really what this movie is. Um, I, I felt like the very end of the film, as weird as it sounds, I almost wish we had taken longer to get there because in some ways I don't know that the relationship and the decision – that Angela is forced to make at the end without getting into spoilers about it. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know that it's totally earned uh, by by the rest of the film. All it's set up, but I didn't feel the weight of it like I did some of the stuff with Andre. But I, you know, we spent more time with him, so I'm more emotionally invested in that character. Um, all that being said, it's a really wonderful film. It's it's funny. Uh, Andre, like I said, is a likable character. He it, he's. It's one of those characters that's hard to pull off where it's a character who's a real schlub and does a lot of stupid shit. And most of, most of the time that character is annoying because you don't understand what would lead any right thinking individual to make decisions like this. And I think they do a good job of presenting him as being a very genial guy and a guy who really does want to mostly do the right thing, but just 
isn't stupid. Just he he's a little naive almost. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, it's it's a really satisfying movie. It and uh, unlike the movie I recommended to you, Duncan, this movie clocks in at a swift ninety one minutes. <laughs> Uh, Jeanne de Florette is a bit, uh, a bit ponderous. Um, Angela is not, it's a, it's a real brisk, quick moving comedy, but it has some heart to it. It's shot really interestingly. Um, I think some of the effects towards the end, I mean, this seems like a kind of a low budget Luc Besson passion project more than yeah, yeah. a big budget kind of movie. So some of that stuff is a little hinky. Um, but again, I'm looking for faults in a movie that is otherwise incredibly entertaining. And it was really just a delight to watch. I mean, I've, I've watched it twice now and both times. I just had a great time with it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it is a, it is a weird movie. I mean, I've owned this movie since it came out. So this is one that I'm fairly familiar with. Um, and I bought it on the basis of it being a movie by Luke Besson. And, but even back then, back circa 2005, it's, it's maybe it maybe holds less weight now because I mean Lucy really was considered a Besson returning to form. He has been linked to a lot of projects which haven't been great, or he has put his name against a lot of things which are very um, they've almost become a, a parody of themselves to an extent. Um, and this this was not what I was expecting at all. I, I was kind of expecting some sort of kick ass. A male and female combo. I don't know. I'd kind of filled in the blanks, maybe. They were bank robbers. Um, I, I don't know what I was thinking. And um, when I watched this movie the first time, I wasn't actually a fan of it at all. I thought it was alright for what it was, but it got shelved pretty quickly. Uh, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I actually, once again, it may have been a case of looking through my DVDs to try and find something to watch and thinking, have I, can I even remember watching that movie and putting it back on? And the second time I watched it, I loved it. Um, and I've watched it quite a few times since. I think you're pretty much spot on with everything. I think um, the 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 character dynamic between the two is brilliant. I think um, the, Angela as a character is everything you want her to be as that character. She is, she's what cinema almost depicts as, as um, angels that are on earth. You know, they're, they're willing to, to indulge in a bit of the things they're not allowed to, where they come from. So she's a chain smoker. Uh, she's constantly eating. Um, she, you know, she really enjoys kind of seizing the day or, you know, capturing the moment. And we, we are with this character, Andre, who has been in Paris for a while, and has never really stopped to smell the roses, so to speak. He's constantly been moving from the next deal to the next deal, trying to get this olive oil business kind of off the ground, but really being indebted to some unsavoury characters, which even he himself says later on when it comes to the realisation of, you know, when Angela's kind of made him accept that he has to be honest uh, with himself and honest with these people that he owes money to. And even he says, you know, I really, I think the only reason we, you know, had company with each other, speaking to the guy who, who he owes money to, is because we both didn't like each other and we both wanted to be around someone that we despised. Um, and I thought that was quite an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Um, the dialogue is really fast paced at times. Um, there are a couple of big emotional sequences in this movie. They're very over the top. They're very French. Um, 
but I think they hold weight. I think that mirror sequence you're talking about is is wonderful, um, and you feel the emotion of that. I think we've all had that thing where we we don't like ourselves for a while or whatever, and um, just something as simple as you know getting him to look in the mirror and just admit that he not only likes himself but he loves himself, and the the the, the, the kind of pathos of him eventually having that emotional connection with just his reflection is. I think is is wonderful as well. The the ending's a bit it's a bit too on the nose for me. Uh, it depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes that's the ending I want. Other times it's not. It depends. It's solely a, a mood based thing. But for the most part, I like it. The action that you described, yeah, albeit is slim, is I think it's more used for comedy than than anything else in this movie. There's a sequence where there's three gang members surrounding him and he just turns around and says do you know Simon says well Simon says knock them out and she does like a spin kick and all three of them fall pretty quick um, which, which once again I think it's more used as a device for comedy than it necessarily is for action um, yeah I think it, I think the black and white works really well in this movie I haven't put the connection to it's a wonderful life at all but now you've mentioned it actually makes a couple of sequences make more sense if it is almost him acknowledging or paying a bit of homage to. Yeah, and the ending in particular is very fairy ish much like, yeah. you know, Capra's endings are. You know, like, pick a one, it doesn't matter the movie. If it was directed yes. by Capra, watch the last 20 minutes and some deus ex machina will come about that makes everybody <laughs> feel good, you know. Yeah, and um, yeah, it does, the, the movie has a really strange way. Even they have that great sequence towards the end where he, he obviously... He decide well, has, he has decided that he is in love with her, but she is rejecting that because, as an angel, she can she knows everything. She knows everything. She's not supposed to acknowledge she knows everything because that's one of the rules of heaven. And she blots out with basically this guy's life. You know, you 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 know, in, in a couple of months' time, you're going to have a successful olive oil business. You're going to meet a lawyer who's thirty called Catherine. You're going to have kids. Do you want to know what those kids' names are? You know, she goes. Um, you know, I can tell you what they'll eat at school. She she she, and she's almost wounded by that because she knows that this guy's life is actually going to be okay whether or not she remains, if she could yeah. remain. Um, and there's something very bittersweet about that, and obviously it resolves itself in a way which is, which is like I say, it depends what mood I'm in, it can be quite satisfying. Um, it's very unbesong at parts, but very, very besong in other parts. I think it's just really good. I think, I, I think it works as a weird kind of obscure French movie. I, don't, I think this is one of the few countries in the world where you can make a movie like this. Um, the way it's made and actually get the sort of reaction which I get from it. I, I don't think I could watch a British version of this movie or an American version and feel the same way I do about it. And it's shot against the backdrop of, Par- uh, backdrop of Paris, I, a city that I've been to not that long ago. And it is, hands down, I've not been everywhere in the world, but it is one of the most romantic, beautiful cities on the planet. And to see it shot in black and white with Eiffel Tower in the background or... Um, you know, walking up beside Dark the Tree off and things like that. It really it's a wonderful city to see at the best of times. So having that as your backdrop just you know, that's just extra bounty points for me. I really, really enjoy this movie. Yeah, and Luke Besson seems to be you know, making this film as a bit of a love letter to Paris as well. Like even the the character of Andre has this 
apartment in New York, you know, the, these ties to America that he's holding on to. And, and sort of one of the things that he learns through the film is that he loves Paris and this is his home and yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah, you know, it's it feels like an oddly personal film from a guy who's mostly known for action movies. But yes. uh, but I think he pulls it off surprisingly well. Uh, Agreed. So, all right. Well, uh, so that's Angela. Duncan, yes. are, are you ready to talk Hunchbacks? <laughs> hunchbacks and Rabbits. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, next up, we'll be doing my pick for Duncan, Jeune de Fleurette, and uh, Rabbits, Hunchbacks, and Wells all come into play. <laughs> Prepare yourselves. Jeanne de Florette, Duncan. Yes, bless you. <laughs> Ate sui is the French uh, version of that. Uh, the IMDb says about this movie, A greedy landowner and his backward nephew conspire to block the only water source for an adjoining property in order to bankrupt the owner and force him to sell. Um, I think that leaves out a lot of rabbits. Uh, I think it... Uh, I also think it it undermines one of the greater themes of the film, but I'll let you get into that. Uh, this is Jean de Florette. It is the first of a two-part film series, kind of, but it's always been presented to me as two individual films, even though uh, Manon of the Spring, or Manon of the Spring, um, is the direct sequel to this film, and in fact... We'll say continuing, like the end of Jeanne de Florette ends with a, a continuance. But uh, I've always viewed these movies as being very different. Uh, certainly <laughs> Jeanne de Florette is the better of the two. Um, but enough about uh, my experience with the film, Duncan. What did you make of Jeanne de Florette? Well, I, it's funny. Um, I, I, I will start with a criticism. Um, and it's one that you've already already touched upon this movie meanders um in a couple of segments which which i i don't particularly like i feel the pacing slows slows down to almost a, not an unacceptable standard but a standard where i'm like that come on let's move this on the movie doesn't need to be two hours that aside pretty much everything else about this movie is phenomenal um I think the story is one that we will all recognise from cinema or from parables or, you know, from stories. It's a very, very simple one. It's about coveting something that you don't have. Really, that's that's essentially what it is. It's the lens that these two individuals go um, to, to acquire a, a stream of water which will help them basically reclaim their family's heritage almost to on some level so we, what we have is we have a, a nephew who returns uh, after being away I'll, I'll try and condense this down as quick as possible because uh, there is the story is lengthy but basically we have a nephew that returns back to his uncle's farm he is basically the only living descendant he will become the the rightful heir to this what was at one point a very successful orchard 
um, on this farmland. He comes back with a dream, and his dream is that he wants to grow flowers. Um, and at first, his uncle doesn't seem too convinced until they find out that actually flowers make quite a bit of money. So they kind of hatch a plan of they will grow these flowers, but they they work out the math, basically, and they'll need a lot of water, water more than they have in order to grow the flowers. And to do that, they, they are reminded that their neighbour, the, their aged neighbour who uh, owns a farm, has a stream in his property, which he has not looked after, he's neglected. So many people consider it now no longer in working order. But they know it is working, so they go to confront him. And we get this fantastic scene of these two old men bickering. And um, basically what comes out of that is one of them pulls the other one off the tree, um, swings them around in a rather comical... So they <laughs> almost felt like the WWE. And, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so off the ladder, sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the guy essentially dies, uh, but they don't know he's dead. You get this wonderful thing where they're walking away saying, well, if he dies, then maybe the land will go to it, and then we can maybe buy it. Maybe we should just go back and make sure he's dead, um, which I, I really like that sort of dark sense of humour. Um, so, yeah, so we have this, this situation where we find out that this guy had a sister, his sister died, but she had a son, and the son in the family, who consists of a wife and a daughter, um, he w- was a tax collector or a tax man, and um, he's a city man, so he's unlikely. We constantly, everything that happens in this movie, we return to the uncle and the nephew, and the uncle lays out his plan. And his plan is, well, this city guy's not going to want this. If we, if we mess up the, the building to a stage where it looks like he's going to have to spend too much money or work on it, he's not going to want to do that. If we, we we block up the spring, there's going to be no water there. We'll not be able to grow any crops. We'll get it for a steal, and then we'll unblock it, and we will have it. And um, no, uh, the, 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 the nephew, uh, in this case played by Gerard Depardieu, uh, Jean de Flore, uh, as, he's, uh, as he's known, uh, in this movie, um, he shows up with his family and brings a very kind of modern sort of arithmetic style of of working out how to do this. Everything's planned out. His books on farming and all the rest, and is sneered upon by the local farmers who do it as an act of you know tradition. Everything's traditional. They just get on with it. And uh, basically, our <laughs> the, the uncle and his nephew go out their way to sabotage every venture that Jean de Flore does in this movie in order to essentially make him want to sell. That's their goal. So, But for quite a while, it looks like everything that Jean de Flore does seems to have the touch of God because everything goes really well for him. But they constantly mention about this lack of water on the land and eventually it comes to haunt the character and that everything he does at a certain point doesn't work for him anymore. Um and I'm skipping out whole sections here to do with rabbits that we'll get back onto. Sure. Um, but eventually his crops start to fail, um, and they still think, you know, eventually he'll see that he can't do anything, you know, he'll sell his property. But uh, Depardieu's character is incredibly tenacious, and uh, also becomes a bit of a drunk, and doesn't see what he needs to see in order to leave. He just keeps trying and persevering, and basically... He's working himself into an early grave. 
which eventually happens when he decides he's going to build another cistern for water um, and he plants dynamite and foolishly runs towards it as it's exploding, uh, thus being hit with lots of debris and ultimately dying, which then puts the <laughs> uncle and the nephew in a position to buy the land off his widow and his child. And um, at the end, we kind of see the girl seeing the, the uncle and the nephew uh, basically releasing the water from the spring. With she, The little girl has vengeance in her eyes. And I didn't know this was a two-parter, but that actually makes sense now. So the next movie must be about the daughter getting vengeance, yes. I imagine. Absolutely, absolutely. And and in that scene where she sees, uh, you know, jumping to the end of the movie, but when she sees uh, Daniel Autil and um, Yves Montan uh, in the spring, it's Yves Montan, like, baptizing yeah. him with the, the water of the spring. And it's, um, yeah, oh, man, this movie's French as hell, Duncan. It really, it really is. But I'll tell you what I like about the movie, right? I love the tone of the movie. It is very funny, right? The French are not necessarily always known for their comedy, but this movie is very funny in parts. Um, there's also, I really feel, I actually feel sorry for Depardieu's character pretty much all the way through this. And I love the fact that the movie for the first half makes you think that, you know, the jokes on the the old timers. Look at this young guy. He's going to have, uh, you know, rabbits to sell every week for, for lots of money. And look, he's grown these plants that he was told not to grow because even down to the fact that at one point they're like that, well, I'll never survive without rain. And then rain comes and they're like, oh, my God. So it's, it's almost. But then in the movie takes this wonderful twist in the second half where the roles are reversed and everything. It's like it's like Depardieu's character has a reverse Midas touch. Everything he touches isn't gold, you know, everything he touches turns to shit. And um it, it continues along this kind of road towards the end. And the end of this movie is is dark. Is dark in a in a way which I love, obviously. <laughs> I now, kinda do too. It's so yeah, miserable, yeah. It's totally miserable. And obviously now that I know that there is the sequel, I imagine that when you watch both parts of this movie you get what would be classed as a Hollywood ending in the second part. Um, but I just I love how I love how miserable it is that I mean even down to the certain things that certain characters say just make me think this is because the the nephew when Depardieu's character dies and obviously sees the impact and he walks down and he's crying and his uncle says is that why you're crying because he's dead and he says I'm not crying my eyes are yeah because ultimately he doesn't care. But, you know, it's like he doesn't know how to handle his emotions. His eyes are crying for him, but he knows that they've done the right thing because now he gets to grow the flowers that he wants. It's But he's, it's, been, it's, he's been torn throughout because he does yeah. genuinely like, you know, Depardieu's character. Because he's and, not a bad guy. He's yeah, not right, a bad guy. right. It's, 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 it's brilliant that way. He's not, for everything bad that happens to him, this guy is still a very nice, giving guy. And you get that, you feel that when they have that conversation and he tells them that, you know, there isn't likely to be any rain and you're barely going to make by and look at your wife and your child, they're miserable. And what happens if you're going to work yourself in an early grave? And you feel that, yeah, he's trying to do it to get the land, but I think, you know, he's also telling them because, he genuinely cares for him. He's but like, he's also the cause of it, which is the, the yes. weird duplicity of the film, is that yes. the, the character who is most sympathetic to Jean's plight 
is the cause of said plight. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought there's, like I see, but my only gripe with the movie is patient, uh, pacing. I think the pacing in the movie is at times a bit frustrating, especially on a second viewing, because um, I've seen the movie twice now. When I came back to watch it a second time, I was fast forward in certain sections where I was like, nothing happens here for five minutes. Fast forward. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, but I understand it as well. It's a French movie from 1986. Right. And it's a different decade. It's a different style of cinema. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. I, I don't find it as hard to, to get through some of those scenes. Uh, you, you know, we talked about this yesterday, as a matter of fact, but, um, there are movies that you watch that aren't necessarily the greatest piece of entertainment as you view them, but once watched, they're these really precious cinematic experiences. And and for me, Jeanne de Fleurette is a good example of that, of a movie that maybe, for the most part, I would say 90% of this movie is a delight. Yeah. And there's about 10% of the film that is sort of scenery and mood setting and things like that and and could be tightened up but mm. regardless every time i come to the end of this movie i feel like i have it's almost like the the feeling of reading a really good book because yeah. i i feel like the characters are incredibly rich um i feel like i know them i feel like i know kind of this town that is really pissing all over depperdue from from jump and, and there's there's this underlying thing about you know city versus country and you know this this guy coming in with a manual being able to outdo farmers who have done it for years and years and you know they're like the townspeople there are even moments where they're like yeah we kind of know that they have this spring maybe somebody ought to tell them about it yeah and it's know, just like no get involved yeah yeah it's not our business you know mm. and yeah it's it's a strangely satisfying movie that has the bleakest ending because it's just all about it. Like your the, the, the name, the titular character of the movie is just a dude who struggles and struggles and struggles. And then it's all for shit and he dies. That's yeah. sort of the, the, the yeah. theme of the movie. Uh, and there's this great scene where uh, Jean, uh, like rain is occurring in the distance. And not in the valley that he's in. And he runs out and just screams up at God. Yeah. Like, hey, did you forget I was a hunchback? You know I've been dealing with that too. And now you won't let it rain on my property. Mm. And it, it's a really effective... It, like, again, super French. You know, <laughs> like screaming at, yeah. uh, at God up at the sky, you know, waving your fist is uh, seems to be a very French thing to do. Um, <laughs> and and it happens in this movie. And... and it's weird because the the dramatic stakes of the film don't seem super high in comparison to something like, you know, the Avengers, where it's the fate of the world. And in this case, yeah. it's, I wish we had enough water so that these rabbits that I started uh, breeding don't all die. Yeah. But that feels so important in this movie. Um, and, yeah, it's... Uh, I really, I really like. It. I, I like it because of its bleakness, but I also like it because I think all the characters are are really well drawn, mm -hmm. and you get these great moments between them, like when um, uh, Jean is trying to get his wife to sell her necklace to get them by a little longer, 
And it, like, there's this one-two punch of, hey, I already pawned it. And yeah. also, it was a fake. Yeah. So we fake. so we only got a hundred francs for it, and it's like, oh man, they're just like like you said, nothing goes right for this dude for an entire hour of the film. Yeah, it's, it's the whole second half of the movie. There's a distinct turning point where we go from everything is working, everything is great, to everything is terrible, <laughs> and it continues that theme. Um, in a comical way at parts, but mm-hmm. he even starts dreaming that he can hear rain. And, he, you know, in his dreams he can hear rain. When he wakes up, he's all excited and there's no rain. It, it really it becomes this kind of plague on the on the character's mind. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think it is an incredible... I think it's a really, really, really good movie. Um, and one that I, I, I will definitely return to. Um, I'll probably check out that sequel now as well. I think uh, I want to see how... The overall story re- uh, resolves itself, but if I only had this movie, but didn't even have the sequel, I'd be cool with that as well. I think it's, I think it's a wonderfully bleak ending, which you just that you don't expect, you don't expect at all. Yeah, Brilliant. yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. But all right, the time has come. Which of these <laughs> French films uh, has won the day, and more importantly, who has won? Episode one of season two of Duncan and Bo come correct. Who who gets the point right away? Who draws first blood? Duncan, you ready? You ready to do this? I can't wait. <laughs> All right. You must choose. But choose wisely. So Duncan. Yes. That's uh, that's it. That's the first two movies we're going to talk about. Jesus, that went in quick. It did go quickly. I I feel like uh, both of these are strong picks. Mm-hmm. Um, as defending champion, I, I think you certainly uh, brought a movie that I had never heard of, much less seen, and uh, and it was quite good. I don't know if it overcomes the rabbit power of Jean de Fleurette. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why. I'll, here's, the, here's the case I will make for Jean de Fleurette, is I think both of these movies are really, really good. I think Jean de Fleurette, despite the, the flaws that we've discussed of uh, maybe a little bit of a uh, a, a sag in the pacing. Um, I think it has more depth. I think there's more to mine out of this movie. Um, I don't, I think that the ending of Angela is a little, a little hacky, not terrible, but it's a little hacky and, and it, it can be fun. And I don't think it's a bad ending, but holy shit. The ending of Jean de Fleurette is so good. I I feel like Jeanne de Fleurette is the winner of the this show. Yeah, I'm, I'll I'll agree with that. Um, I think if I was going on overall story, I think the I, I gravitate more towards Angela as a story, and I think there's more powerful performances. Um, just with a, a like a. The, the interaction between the Angela and and the the man that she's sent to basically be the you know the archangel or the protector of guardian angel um of is is incredible I really really love that dynamic um the ending to me like I say sometimes it hits and I love it other times it hits and I'm just like oh, it just feels a bit too twee and you know and, and that and that, it kind of kind of yeah, it kind of irritates me. Um, 
Whereas the the end of Jean de Flore is exactly, exactly what I want in cinema. I like those endings that make you think, oh, right, so everything doesn't turn out all right at the end. Well, it does for one party, but doesn't for the other. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? It's, it's all about perspective. And, and that's real life. Real life is like that. Sometimes the good guys don't win. Sometimes hard work and perseverance, this is totally anti the American message right now. Sometimes hard work, perseverance, um, and having a dream amount to nothing than an early grave. Um, and this movie kind of shows you that. And it, it, I'm smiling when I'm saying it because I kind of like that concept. Um, for, for all the things that I love about Angela, and there are a lot, I think Jean de Flore has, like I say, a better end than I really like the comedy in it. I think it is very, very funny in bits. Well, I like some of the comedy in Angela. I don't think it's as crisp or well-written as Jean de Flore. Um, I prefer how Angela is shot. I think it's that black and white kind of stylized setting in Paris is wonderful to look at. And you don't get that in Jean de Flore because that's not where it's set. But um, taking that aside, how it's shot, I just find it. A really enjoyable watch, uh, which makes me a morbid person. <laughs> but I, I really, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, like I say, that the, the even even the pacing issues are not enough to 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 have me say that I don't think this was the best movie this week. Ah, uh, man, here we are, <laughs> one nothing. Yep. Um, First blood, and that's season two. Um, I think we're just gonna end the season right here. I feel like. <laughs> I was about to say, I just want people to remember that the very first one on Duncan and Bo Come Correct was you. Mm-hmm. So that means no, that's nothing. Right. we still have a lot of episodes to get through and a lot of topics that, yeah, like I say, some that I'm not confident on. Other ones I, I kind of feel I have in the bag. So Yeah, um, for uh, 11 more episodes, we will be presenting good movies to one another, uh, culminating in our... Uh, our, it will be our second season finale, Duncan mm-hmm. and Bo Come Incorrect, where we find uh, t- hilariously terrible movies for one another. Um, <laughs> but uh, I feel good. I feel good. It feels nice mm. to to come in with a win. Um, I uh, I think I think Angela. You know, as always, we have yet to discuss a movie that I would just tell someone not to watch. They're yeah. all worth your time and and angela in particular like i think jean de it's kind of a powerhouse because it, it is a minor classic of french cinema uh mm-hmm. and um angela is a, a super entertaining good time that has uh some really interesting stuff going on in it so um don't don't mistake it being uh the loser of the episode as being a cinematic loser uh yeah it's it's really quite good uh so with all that business out of the way and the wagering concluded, <laughs> uh, Duncan, anything coming up, uh, on your to watch list that you're really looking forward to? Um, yeah, actually, for my sins, I quite fancy checking out the new Jurassic Park movie. Um, I think it looks, we, we've spoken about this before. I think both of us have a, a love for dumb creature features, you know, monster movies. And, um, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say that I've enjoyed every Jurassic Park movie, but I've enjoyed the dinosaurs in them. So uh, this one looks like it's ridiculous, over the top nonsense. Um, and even if the story is shit and the characters are awful, 
I get to see dinosaurs run about the screen, so that you know that kind of makes me happy. So I, I'm quite looking forward to checking that one out. Um, the other movie that I'm quite looking forward to checking out, only because I want to see how bad they've done it as the Poltergeist remake. I wanted, I want to go and see that movie just to find out. If what we have all been saying for the best part of a year and a half, two years since it was announced is correct, and they fucked it. Um, yeah, so, it certainly didn't open great. So no, 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 no. It's had it's had a knock-on effect as well to um, Kari Fukunaka's involvement in the It project, um, and obviously he was going to be doing a two-part It movie um, with the blessing of Stephen King and all the rest, and basically because. Poltergeist opened not incredibly strongly. New Line Cinema returned to Fukunaka and said, you know, this might be a change in trends where well, horror remakes. Can we make it just one movie? And Fukunaka said no, and because there was no wiggle room, he walked from the project. And Fukunaka was the reason I was interested in that project because he did True Detective and I need to see nothing else. Um, so, and I kind of feel a bit cheated now because he left doing a second season of True Detective to work on it. So he's not involved with that. And as much as I'm looking forward to True Detective Season 2, I was really looking forward to this idea of having the the the, the combination behind Season 1 back to do the whole Season 2. And we're not going to get that. And I kind of feel like, on some level, uh, Poltergeist is responsible. But I still want to go and check it out. I like Sam Rockwell. I think he's a really good actor. Um, I'll watch him in pretty much anything. I think after seeing Moon, I will pretty much watch that guy do anything now. Um, even if it, even if it was lighting his farts on camera, I would still probably pay to see that. <laughs> Just because it's Sam Rockwell. Um, but yeah, I think that's the ones I'm most looking forward to. Uh, in terms of my upcoming shows, podcast under the stairs, stopping a ton of content um, every week, every Monday, and you can check out that show, podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com, iTunes, Stitcher, but most importantly on the Legion Podcast Network, where you're listening to this show right now. Um, I'm involved with other shows. Uh, I, there's too many to mention on here. The only other one I'll mention is Doing the Nasty, which is a Video Nasty's exclusive podcast, which I believe I've started up since we went on hiatus. Yeah, I, I believe that's right. Or you had started right as we were ending. I know. So. Yeah. So we're um, 11 episodes into that now. Basically, for those out there that don't know, the video nasties was a huge uh, scandal in the UK to do with censorship of movies in the early 80s. Um, it basically affected cinema and video rental in the UK and it's kind of the effects are still felt. Some of the movies from that list are still banned in our country um, to this day. So, what myself and my my co-host Andy Blockley from the Big Horror Little Podcast, which is also exclusively on Legion Podcast Network, we're doing is we're looking at all seventy-two movies, reviewing three a week from the Video Nasties list, separate in two sections. The prosecuted list, which is as it sounds, was a list of movies where. If people were actually prosecuted in the UK for distributing. They either did jail time or were fined for distributing movies. It's fucking incredible, man. Um, and the non-prosecuted list, which is, once again, exactly like it sounds, movies that were on the list that no one were, was ever prosecuted for distributing. So that show is exclusively on Horrorphilia Podcast Network. Um, so you should check that one out as well. Bo! Indeed. And there are uh, podcasts under the stairs posters. Uh, maybe not as of this release, but yeah, so 
Uh, go to uh, podcast under the stairs dot wordpress wordpress dot com. Do I have that right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and you should be able to find all the details there, and you should get one because those posters are really cool. Yours, uh, yours was posted today. Yes. So it's, it's now it's now in it's now in transit to America, uh, and you need to let me know when it arrives safe and sound. I will certainly do it. I will uh, I, I will I will pose with it in uh, provocative ways. Maybe <laughs> that might be fun. Um, I am looking at you know speaking of recommendations from Duncan, which this show hinges on. Uh, I am also going to uh, be watching. Uh, a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. That's the thing I'm most looking forward to after hearing you discuss it a couple of times. So mm-hmm. by n- the next time we chat, I will have uh, I will have seen that movie. Um, nice. In fact, I may watch it today. Um, so looking forward to that. And uh, beyond that, there's not a lot of like big summer releases that I'm I'm excited about at this point. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's just been a weird. I think that this year has been strange. I think I, I think. And the thing is as well, see since Fury Road's come out, it's kind of, it, it, it's almost so good that it's kind of made me not really interested in following the progress of any other big summer movies, if that makes any sense. I, I spent so much time focusing on that and that movie, I was going to go and see it and all the rest, that I haven't really paid much attention to the release schedule of anything else. Um, and a lot of movies are either doing really well, other failing. I mean, that Tomorrowland didn't do well either. It had a a pretty poor um, opening, which is weird when you consider Clooney's in that movie, and Clooney's a bankable name. Um, it's really strange. I think we're now basically on the countdown to Star Wars. Maybe so. Sure. Maybe so. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. That uh, the the trailer, as I've mentioned uh, <laughs> other times, other than Grandpa uh, Han Solo, uh, that trailer <laughs> makes me real excited to see. Uh, what that movie is going to look like. Um, but Grandpa Han Solo makes me sad. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, LegionPodcast.com is where you can find all the other shows as well as this one. And uh, next time out in a fortnight, we will be returning uh, with a, uh, a new pair of films, this time revolving around the idea of romance. I I am going to struggle with this one. Winter Beast may be deployed next show. Um, <laughs> Ooh, pulling it early. All right. I'm not saying definitely unless 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 I'm going to have to do a bit of research and, and brush up on my because uh, to, to me Angela is a romance movie. So yeah, no, I, I think that would count. Um, but yeah, I'm already fully that. <laughs> yeah, it I I it's weird because. There's there's one I have uh, at the ready for you, but I may I may change that up. I I'm gonna I'm gonna think about this a little bit because I I feel like it's a good pick. I'm not sure it's a great pick, but at any rate, romance will be uh, the the next topic of discussion uh, just in time for Valentine's Day um, if you have been in a coma for six months. So. <laughs> We, we like to cater to the comatose here on the Duncan of Oak, correct. Um, so, uh, everybody, thanks for joining us uh, for Season 2, the kickoff to that uh, this new season of show. I, uh, of course, emerged Victor. I don't mean to keep repeating that, but if, if this season is anything like last season, I don't get to say it much. 
So, Duncan, anything you would like to add before we get out of here? Just as great to be back. Thanks, uh, everyone, for checking out the show. Remember, uh, show us some love over on Legion uh, with some reviews. And we have a separate feed as well if you want to leave us some iTunes reviews or suggest movies to us, uh, which we always we always like that idea. If people want to suggest movies to us, um, then you can uh, by emailing us. Uh, and I've forgotten the email. Oh, it's dbcc at dbccpodcast.com. That's the one. That's yeah. the one. Uh, so you can send us an email. Uh, let us know what you thought. If you've seen any of these movies, let us know what your opinions are as well. We'd love to hear them. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, on behalf of uh, myself and Duncan, have a wonderful time, and we will talk to you in a fortnight. Bye.